Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us today, we have a special guest that we have been so excited Mm -hmm. and just so happy that is here with us today. So we're talking with author Catherine Garbera. So thank you for joining us. Please tell us how 2021 has been for you. Well, thank you for having me. 2021 has been um, a, a little bit different, but maybe it's the new normal. I hope not. Um, but yeah, I've been pretty much just staying home writing. I did get to go to the U.S. and visit my fam- my entire family. My daughter lives in Chicago, and we celebrated my mom's 80th birthday at the first oh, week yeah. in October. So it was really, really nice. So do you have a favorite holiday memory that you'd like to share with us? Um, my favorite holiday memory would have to be one when my maternal grandmother was still alive. We used to, when I was growing up, my sisters and I got up early, uh, no earlier than five o'clock. We had to make coffee for my parents and then we could open presents. And then we would go out and walk on our, we, we lived out in the country on an orange grove. So we would walk on our road until my uh, grandparents got to our house because we were so excited to see them. And pretty much it was just laughing and eating. And um, just like so much fun. But I, you know, like always around the holidays, I miss her. She used to bring these cookies, these Italian cookies that I, I, that we call them strufflers. They're like these fried things that are coated in honey and sprinkles and Mm -hmm. just eating those. And I don't know, I just, that's my favorite memory, I think. Oh, sounds so special. Yeah. There's something about grandmothers and the holidays and food. <laughs> my my grandmother was Polish and every Christmas it was pierogies and cabbage rolls along with the turkey. So, you know. <laughs> we have a lasagna at every meal. And yep. then we'd have the American version, but we'd have lasagna, meatball, sausage, and then we'd have like turkey and stuffing and potatoes. Yeah. No one's meant to eat that much food. <laughs> But but they made it because they thought the army was coming. <laughs> yes. It's their love language, I feel. It is. It is. <laughs> well, we love to hear romance origin stories. Can you share with us how you became a romance reader? Um, yes, I, I kind of, I always like to read. And um, one time I was staying with my grandparents and Um, a small town in Florida where they ran the local Greyhound bus station and my grandparents couldn't bring me back home. So I had to take the bus back to where I lived, which is only a couple of hours. But um, my uncle had taken me to like a flea market and I picked up a copy of Joanna Lindsay's um, Fires in Winter, Mm. which is a Viking romance. Um, I had never read romance before. It was like a complete shock. I was in seventh grade, so I think I was 12. Um, oh so a lot of stuff I was reading, I was like, oh my gosh. But it was so, I mean, I couldn't put it down. So I was really hooked. And um, after I finished it, my mom had a friend, um, another mom friend, who, who subscribed to a Harlequin book club. And so when she was done with the book, she would pass them on to my mom. And I started like taking them and reading them. And um yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then they also, the used bookstores played a huge part in my life. I would get to keep the books that we got from Mrs. Lofton and, and I'd go and turn them in and buy more romance books. And I just like read all the time. Yeah, you had nice. like a book drug deal going on. <laughs> right? I really did. I really did. Yeah. Um, oh, God, it was the best. <laughs> so what was it about that? I mean, you literally picked up the Joanna Lindsay on a whim. I mean, you had no idea really what you were picking up, just like picking it up. What was it about the story that hooked you? Oh, um, I mean, I think a little bit, I think it's two things. One is those, those men in those early um, books were just like, so, um, so alpha and the the setting that, you know, was a Viking romance. So like the, the world was harsh. And then these women were maybe victims of like, this lady was an Anglo-Saxon princess. Um, so like she was tied to like her family's expectations of her, but she was still strong and kind of had her own agency within the story. And I don't know, I was sophisticated enough to see that, but I did know that these women were, um, that she, she, she was making her own way. She was making compromises. And of course, you know, it was the first time I men I had read about someone kissing someone else and doing other things. I don't, know, I don't know what your podcast is rated, but um, you can say whatever you need to say. Exactly. <laughs> right. We're all friends like, here. And, yeah. <laughs> and I want to read more about that. So I, mm-hmm. I just, I, I think I liked, 
I really like the women in those stories. They really spoke to me. I have a very strong maternal family. We have a lot of women. My mom's real strong, but sisters. Um, so strong women are not, I, I like reading about them. And I love hearing about the friend, the, the your mom's friend that was subscribing to the Harlequins because Sarah and I were just literally talking about this yesterday. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I just, I like the surprise of having a box show up and I know there's books in it, whether I yeah. know what's in there or not. And there's that piece of me, I, like, I really want to subscribe to some of the Harlequin lines, like the ones that I can't go to the store and get. Then like Sarah said, but like every Friday there's a sale. <laughs> <laughs> get the books that way but I feel like once upon a time like women like Harlequin readers really yeah did the subscription thing and now it's like almost like this question like should I do it or not should I just Mm -hmm. wait for this you know for should I wait for Friday Mm -hmm. um yeah that's so interesting I don't know I when I finally got it well I had to get a job because I would just lay on my bed and read all the time so my mom (laughs) came in one day. I think she was afraid I was never going to leave the house. Um, when I was 16, she took me up to Disney. <laughs> she was like, you're getting a job. Um, and I was like, okay, fine. Um, with all of my like attitude, but that did enable me to subscribe to Harlequin. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I have like cheese knives that I collected from the Harlequin book club and I have like a a Christmas ornament I got from them one year. It's just so weird that I end up writing for Harlequin after <laughs> describing for so long. Okay, what line did you get the subscription for? Yeah. Um, well, I had uh, I liked Intrigue, Harlequin mm-hmm. Intrigue. No, it, though I'm saying Harlequin, it was also Silhouette. I had um, Silhouette Desire and Special Edition were the other two. Mm-hmm. So I had three, but you know, it was working. So yeah, <laughs> got to spend that paycheck somewhere. <laughs> no. Jobs come handy for something, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so we learned from your website that you made your first sale to Harlequin in 96. Can you share what your journey to becoming published was like? Since I've shared my reading addiction, um, when I, <laughs> after I got married and I had my, my daughter, um, I was um, 23, uh, but I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, and my finances just did not allow for a one-income family. So I had knew I was going to have to do something, and I thought maybe I'll give writing a try. That, that's why I started. Um, I went to a workshop where Elizabeth Lowell was speaking, and kind of learned everything that I hadn't picked up in reading books about writing from her. So. I kind of knew romance well because I'd read so many of them. It'd been 10 years of reading romance, a lot of them. Um, And then she talked more about like why they were doing things. So when I came home, I just started writing on my computer at work because I didn't have a computer at home. (laughs) But I asked my boss, I was like, hey, if I do this and I look busy, I was a receptionist. So he said, Mm -hmm. you know, it. I didn't really have anything to do other than answer the phone as long as I did. He was fine with it. But I loved that first book. It it didn't have much of a plot. It had really sexy hero. The heroine was on the run for her life. She had great clothes. <laughs> There's a lot of hot sex because that's what I liked in books. I knew someone was after her, but I never knew who it was. And it was kind of nebulous at the end. So, I mean, it wasn't a great manuscript, <laughs> but it really, I learned a lot. And then um, I got in a critique group and I wrote another manuscript and started sending out to contest and I started finaling. Mm-hmm. And then my critique group broke down because of reasons. And what I realized is, I mean, I was kind of, I was young um, and I was writing books to try to impress the members of my critique group because they were all published and older than me. And so when I wasn't in the critique group anymore, I was like, let me write a book that I really want to read that's really speaks to me. And so I had uh, my hero is Italian American, and he had a large family, but he feels responsible for losing them. My heroine is a, a single mom. And so but just using those things that really spoke to me, I wrote a book that won Georgia Romance Writers Maggie Award and then became my first sale. Um, so I think that was a really long way to go about telling you, but <laughs> how I got there. <laughs> you can tell however you want to tell it. Exactly. Exactly. It's your story. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what did you take away from Elizabeth Lowell that you, 
you said you didn't, you know, you, you learned from her the things that you hadn't picked up already from reading, which, which one thing we hear a lot having to like doing the podcast is if you want to write, you need to start reading as a writer. So it sounds like you knew a lot of things already from having read so for so long. But like, what did you take away from that experience with her? I think she told me why thing why things needed to happen um, and kind of explained it. So like a lot of times, one of my favorite intimate moments authors back then was Linda Howard. And a lot of times in those books, her guys were very, very, so very alpha, but something would happen between the hero and the heroine that would like have that initial spark where they'd have to have like a physical contact. And usually it would be something unexpected. And the reason why is that most people in everyday life, you're going to meet a lot of people, which is what Elizabeth Lowell was kind of explaining. But like in the story, you need to force them into stopping. It's, you know, like you see someone who you think is attractive, you're probably not going to talk to them or touch them, but you need that physical contact so that you can get the spark going and get your romance novel going. And so that was, she was like kind of breaking down things that I had already read a lot and seen happen. Now I was understanding why they were happening. And so it was more intentional as opposed to like that first manuscript I wrote where it was just like, Ooh, we're, we're alone together. We should have sex, which is (laughs) not exactly a good, I mean, it's okay. It's not a good book. (laughs) You entered the romance publishing world with your book, The Bachelor Next Door, part of Harlequin's Desire line, which now we know the Desire was one of the series that you subscribe to. So it's making sense. Um, <laughs> but what did the world of romance publishing look like as you were entering into it? Um, I think I think it was a little bit different. Um, there wasn't so much of the emphasis on, on wealth, especially in the Desire line, but um, kind of when I was selling um, Angels Were a Big Thing. <laughs> Um, really? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. It was such a big, it was such a big thing. Um, and then it was like brides, babies and cowboys. Um, so some of those things are still of course popular. My book was a little different because, um, like I said, my, uh, my hero was like a, owned a construction company and my, um, heroine was a single mom. So I wasn't ticking any of those boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they were still like sensual stories, emotional stories, those things that are, are kind of still the same. And I think, probably the same tropes that we have today, except we were just kind of doing them in a different way because we're coming, I I was going to say we're coming out of the eighties, but we're almost to the two thousands at that point. Mm -hmm. But you know, like we were, women were what we thought we were had. We we thought we had a lot more uh, freedom, but you know, with the glass ceiling and all of that, I don't know that we did, but Mm -hmm. you know, like, things had changed. Roles had changed a lot more. You think you could do different things. <laughs> Sorry about that. I stepped off on a weird tangent. No, you're no. fine. You're fine here. <laughs> this uh, is your show. We're just right. asking questions and listening. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone who has yet to read a Desire novel, how would you describe it to them? Well, you know what? I, I'm going to let Harlequin. Luxury, scandal, desire, mm-hmm. welcome to the lives of the American elite. That's kind of our new tagline. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think they are, I always think for desire, it's like high stakes drama, um, but lots of, lots of real emotion. So you get like all of those fun, scandalous, juicy storylines um, that more than likely you're not going to encounter in your real life. But the people who are in it are their emotions you relate to. You, you know, these people, even if they're living in a luxury world, you can mm-hmm. still go, oh yeah, I know, I know this woman. I've, I, I've been in her shoes. I mean, not those expensive shoes, but you know, I understand where she is. (laughs) That's just me. (laughs) Same. (laughs) No, but it's true. Like I think back to some of the desire novels I've read and we've loved, like, uh, was it the one by the one by Reese Ryan Bree that both you and I were just like, Oh my God, that's so good. The the Vegas one. Married, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm just like, that girl could be my best friend. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like it, they're awesome. You're ab- you're on the ball with that one for sure. So with you having written for Desire since ni- 1997, did we say? Was it 97? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My um, first book didn't come out till 97. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, I mean, cause that's, that's amazing. I mean, we're yeah. in 2021 now. Do you feel that the line has changed any since you began writing for it? I do think so. I think, I mean, some things have stayed the same. Um, 
really, they've always had really strong alpha heroes. Um, I feel like the heroines have always been really, I like to use the word feisty, but I really like, feel like they're, they're, they're the feminine match to these alpha heroes. So those things are the same, still the sensuality, still the emotion, but the, the worlds that we're in are a little bit different. Um, I think I may have said earlier that in the beginning, when I first started writing for Desire, luxury, that, that uber wealthy thing, wasn't wasn't in every book you could have like a blue collar hero um whereas it kind of has morphed into that now and i think it maybe i think it was they did have a lot of cowboys um because texas cattlemen's club has been going for a really long time but they also had those family sagas because we i did a dynasties in like 2003 i think or 2002 um so that like that's one thing that's been continuing on as well um so it's nice to see some things are the the story, like the stories, are kind of have that same thing. They're hitting those same notes for readers, but they're changing with the time so that they still feel current and modern, mm-hmm. um, you know, and still giving you what you want as a as a romance reader. One hot weekend was your first Harlequin Blaze romance. Can you share how you came to write for that line? Yes. Well, uh, Brenda Chin was an editor for Harlequin Temptation, which is kind of the line that Harlequin Blaze spawned out of. And she had a lot of authors in the central Florida area where I grew up and was living. And so she used to come down for conferences. And because I wrote for Desire, Desire and Temptation were the same, about the same word length, same heat level. Um, our stories were, the, the stories were different in tone. Um, I feel like the Desire ones had um, a little more, actually, I, I, I don't, I don't know anything about Tim. I mean, I don't know Temptation other than having read it. So I shouldn't try to describe what I thought it was. Uh, but anyway, Brenda, you, and she liked Disney and I used to work at Disney. So when she would come down, I would say, you know, like, let me know if you want to get into Disney. Like I used to be able to sign people into the park. And so oh my gosh, that's, <laughs> what a superpower to have. I know. <laughs> that's how kind of how I got to know Brenda. And so mm-hmm. she would say when we were talking and Blaze was starting out, did I want to write, did I have any ideas for Blaze? And I had some really bad ideas for Blaze. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One hot weekend, it took me forever to actually get an idea that she liked because I heard Blaze and I was back in my original uh, first manuscript that never sold. And I was like, sex, all yeah. sex. I was like, sending these ideas and Brenda would be like, uh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> finally, one hot weekend, I finally got an idea she liked. And, and my working title was Wagered Weekend. It's two attorneys who um, w- were lovers and it ended badly. And so now they're up against each other in court and they've made a side bet for who wins. And um, it's like a sexy side bet because mm-hmm. you know, it was back on sex again. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's the idea. That's why we sold. <laughs> It's almost like your writing stories for like teenage you that you yeah. know gets the book from the flea market. Yeah. <laughs> I love it so much. It is. It is. <laughs> well, I just have to say, like Sarah is probably Blaze's biggest fan. She believes it's a cult classic. I love that line. It just it it, it does like I, I see the similarities to Desire, but I find Blaze tended to be a bit more flirty. Uh, and not that desire can't be fun but do you know what I mean like I don't know yeah definitely I think like in in desire it always feels like like the sex has is is tied to like that emotional heavy plot that's going on whereas Mm -hmm. in plays it's just like hey let's have some fun and then the more fun you have together then it suddenly is like wait a minute I think I like you and and like so the sex come is kind of ends up driving them to the emotional part whereas in Mm -hmm. desire it's like so interwoven sex and emotion yeah Yeah. agreed agreed (laughs) so in 2004 like we were looking at all of your titles Mm -hmm. in order on fiction database and in 2000 like this is just an example listeners and Catherine for yourself of what amazingness you have done so you published titles for desire blaze and the silhouette bombshell line 
in 2004, almost like back to back. So thank you first for being our first bombshell author on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> but this we is a series that, I that line. <laughs> did I, Sarah, was it this year? I think it was this year that I learned about bombshell and I don't yeah. remember how, I think it was on eBay. I was like, what is this bombshell they're talking about? Um, but so how would you describe that line to anyone who has yet to read a title from it? Because I feel like it is a line, especially for new to category readers that you don't know about. Because it didn't run for very long, um, unfortunately. I think I would describe um, Silhouette Bombshell as like female-driven action-adventure. There is a romance in it, but it's not necessarily a traditional romance. And it, especially in the beginning of the line, um, there was we didn't have a neat and tidy happy ending. It was definitely all-female-driven. She's saving the day. She's kicking ass. She's solving the problems. And I think that was a big part of it of why it was so much fun to write for them. So was it, it wasn't romantic suspense-ish, was it? Like, I don't know how you would describe the tone of it to somebody. I know, it's it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like a thriller. I had an editor say, write me a mini Nelson DeMille when I first, for my first (laughs) time writing for Bombshell, I was like, "Uh, no, and my agent said, She's, she was like, she's a New Yorker. She was like, if they want you to write a mini Nelson DeMille, they'll pay you to be a mini Nelson DeMille. <laughs> oh, so like, just be me? <laughs> but yeah, it does. It, I think they are thrillers um, in a way. And there was there were so many different things that they did. Because I remember um, Von Jock's, um, she had the Medusa key, which had like that kind of mystical element to it. Um, the ones I wrote were like usually... I wrote one person who was a virologist um, who was who saved the world, uh, saved the world from an infectious disease that was going to be released, and then the others were spies. Um, mm-hmm. But I know there was a lot of variety in the line, and it was a chance to kind of like if you grew up with Charlie's Angels, it was kind of like a chance to do that on the page, you know, like we like it was all women. I don't know. I really liked it. It was it was had such a great feminine focus energy. And it felt like it felt like we were on. Uh, it felt exciting. Can you tell us how you ended up writing for that line? When I first started writing romance, like way before I even thought about it, I had loved romancing the stone. And mm-hmm. you know that movie is kind of action adventure. You know where she goes. And so as soon as I heard them describing the bombshell line, I was like, "Ooh, I want to, <laughs> I want to write this." And so I said to my agent, "Can you ask?" And she said, "She said she was like I said, she was very." very New Yorker. She was like, yeah, but don't get your hopes up. <laughs> um, but they, they said yes. And um, I sent them an idea that they liked, but then they invited me to be part of Athena Force, which was this continuity they were using to launch the bombshell line. And I think I had like the second or third one in the series. And it was like all the great silhouette Harlequin authors, like Deborah Webb, Justine Davis, um, I think Carla Cassidy wrote one. I mean, it was like all these names that I had grown up reading and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be oh in this gosh. series with all yeah. these great authors. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, so that's kind of how it started. <laughs> that is so cool. I mean, that's, it's so inspirational for anyone listening. Sometimes you just have to shoot your shot and have your agent ask. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I ask all the time. My, my dad always says, if you don't ask, the answer is no. Oh, yeah, like, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, I got a 50 50 shot. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. The worst they're going to say is no. Right. <laughs> and if I don't ask, it's definitely no. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, what did you enjoy about writing titles from all these different lines at the same time? I, I, I like the to ch- kind of change of pace, mm-hmm. um, which made each of the things when I came back to them seem fresh. Um, so I didn't, I wasn't getting bored with, I wasn't writing the same story again and again, because each of them have their own tone and flavor. And they were each a little bit of different word count length. Um, so that was fun too. And I, I tended not to write any of the books back to back, like for the same line. So it would go mm-hmm. from a desire to a bombshell to a blaze like that type, which was a nice way to kind of keep everything fresh. We love Thule Publishing and mm-hmm. you've been publishing with Thule. So can you talk about how you, your journey to publishing with them? Yes. Um, Jane Porter and I have known each other for a long time. At one time we shared, we had us the same agent. And so, gosh, I want to say it was 2013. She, at, at the RWA conference, she was like, hey, I'm thinking about, I'm doing this new thing. 
do you want to be a part of it? And it was Thule. And I said, yes, because I always say yes. Um, and yeah. And so the first thing, first thing, because it was new, it was kind of a lot of people were doing indie publishing, but um, a lot of us didn't really want to to strike out on our own, weren't sure what to do. And so kind of it felt, especially in the beginning, um, Jane had kind of a, a system in place and people who would do the cover, do the formatting, upload the book, all of that. And we were writing novellas. And so Jane, myself, and Melissa McClone wrote a Christmas novella in 2013, Christmas novellas that were set in the same town, Marietta, which is one of the Thule towns that um, the original authors did. I think it was C.J. Carmichael, Jane Porter, Megan Crane, and Lillian Darcy. And so then Melissa and I just kind of came in and wrote our novellas. And then I just ended up writing four or five more novellas set in Marietta. Um, And then, you know, it's kind of gone from there. It's gotten so much bigger than, you know, just that little conversation in a ballroom at a conference. (laughs) That's so neat. I know. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I've been reading Amy Andrews's newest Thule and I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's in Marietta in Montana. Like, wow, I didn't realize it was that, you know, long, that longevity was there. That's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the um, really nice things about Thule. And one of the things that the Thule readers really love is we have, we have Marietta in Mount Montana, and then we have Last Stand in Texas, that are just these established towns. And I, I think even myself as a reader, I like reading, you know, just glimpsing another character from another book or going back to a setting that I've, I've come to know and love. So I think that's mm-hmm. really helpful um, and enjoyable. Yeah. So is there like a Bible for the towns? Like, is it like uploaded somewhere in a shared drive that you can all access? You know what I mean? Like, just so you're, you don't create maybe a new coffee shop or a new whatever, or do you just kind of write? Um, we just kind of write. Okay. Uh, I haven't been in Marietta in a while. I know that there was a fire in Marietta a few years back. So that <laughs> I love how we talk about it, how like it's a real place. Uh, right. <laughs> it feels real to us. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I, with Last Stand, when we, we went to Texas, well, first between that, my friend Eve Gaddy and I started a town called Whiskey River that's in Texas. And mm-hmm. kind of even I had both written some stories set in Marietta and it, with that many people, like you were saying, it gets confusing about who owns what. So even I were like, okay, let's do this. And we'll each, it's just the two of us so we can figure it out. And then we end up inviting other people to write in Whiskey River. And, and then it's like, you do have to have like a big list, but yeah. at the same time, if, if someone doesn't, like, I'm really bad about updating my stuff. So uh, someone will say, oh, I've added blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, oh, wait, I already have that. And yeah. Eve would be like, it's not, Eve is very organized. It's not on the list. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I love that so much because, I mean, it'd be like, well, no, the library's at the corner of Maine and Broadway. Well, you yeah. know, you didn't put it on the list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so fun. That is so fun. I love it. Uh, so Texas Christmas Dare is your 2021 holiday release, part of Thule's Texas Born line. The book is the first book in your, is, is it the Rosses of Whiskey River series? Uh, it could be. I say Rossies. Rossies? But, okay. But um, you know what? That doesn't mean it's right. Okay. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> so can you share where the inspiration for the series came from? Yes. I had um, in Texan for the Taking, which is um, part of the last book in my Corbin Sisters of Last Stand, the hero of that book. I wanted him to have, again, I went back to my Italian American roots and I wanted him to have a big family. So, and I wanted his family to kind of, he moved to this town to get away from them. And then his parents bought like a big ranch and moved all the family there because that's the way they are. (laughs) So it's like, okay, I want to explore a little bit more of this family. So that's kind of where it started. And then I've been writing Christmas books for two weeks since 2013. So, um, I was thinking when I was thinking about Christmas, um, I I wanted to try something different. And um, so I have Nico is just like over the top because his name is Nico. He's like, of course, I'm like St. Nick, you know, Mm. you know, very (laughs) Christmassy and all into it. And and my heroine is very not grinchy, just very reluctant to enjoy the holidays due to her own, you know, her own life. She's she's a person. She's got baggage, (laughs) as we all do. (laughs) I just wanted to ask, so we know the 
there's like a lot of the story set in Texas. There's a lot set in Montana. How do you all like that? Those are locations that I feel like we see a lot of, and it mm-hmm. makes sense because they are really big places where mm-hmm. it would just feel very easy to create your own little imaginary space. But can you guys, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, is that something that you all as authors are like, okay, I want to create a small town. It's going to be easiest to maybe set it here versus somewhere else. Or mm-hmm. is it just the locations that y'all are drawn to? Like, how do we decide on that specifically? Cause like you're from Florida and I'm like, well, why don't we have a small Florida town? <laughs> you know. <laughs> No, why don't we? Um, I I lived in I lived in Frisco for five years. Um, so I and Eve is from Texas, which is why we set our town in Whiskey River, uh, in in the hill country of Texas. And I think mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of times when authors are picking those places, I, I, I hate to say this, but Texas is a big draw. Montana is a big draw. Those those like small mm-hmm. ranching towns. So a lot of that is informing why people are creating towns in those locations because we know readers like them and we want to do our own thing um, in those places that readers like. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think like that's, that's a part of it, but also sometimes it's the story you want to tell. And if you're, you know, if you're talking about uh, like someone, I really think with like rancher or cowboy, there's someone who need like that wide open space. They yeah. need a place where they can make their own mark and it's not too big city where there's mm-hmm. like lots of structures and you, you want to kind of have that ruggedness to the hero and you want the setting to kind of reflect that a little bit. And I think that's part of it. Also, there's that small town charm where, I mean, it's charm, but also at the same time, it's that small town fishbowl. So that, that kind of helps a little bit with the conflict too. Either someone really loves that small town feeling walking down main street, everybody knows your name or they hate it. And those are two really good stories that you can tell in that one setting. So it kind of is a little bit of a gold mine with all mm-hmm. the things you can unearth in those little towns. And if you create it yourself, as opposed to like picking Orlando for a story and you mm-hmm. mess something up, people, people don't know if you mess it up unless yeah. he points yeah. it out. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. That <laughs> makes true. a lot of sense. Thank you. So can you talk a little bit more about what Texas Christmas Dare is about? Oh, yeah. My heroine is, well, first of all, I have to say my parents were very crafty growing up. So even as I say this, I know it sounds like a really lame uh, career for my heroine is a basket weaver. But my mom has always been like weaving. She has a, a big loom and she's always done all this weaving and stuff. So I thought it was kind of a fun thing to try something different. And um, I, I wanted, like, I don't think that's enough on its own to make a story. So I was like, why would she have gotten into weaving? And then I thought, well, something tragic would have had to happen because I, I love a lot of drama. I was going to say a little bit of drama, but I really love a lot of drama. <laughs> that's that desire, those desire yeah, yeah, roots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I like she has a tragedy. It's 10 years. So it's really time for her to move on. But she's kind of not been she's been very reluctant to do that. And now her basket, because like, I'm, I'm sure you guys have noticed a lot of like homey crafts and that kind of cozy stuff is really taken off in the marketplace yeah. and you mm-hmm. know, everybody loves it. So that's why when you said that, I was like, that feels very on brand for the moment we're in. I feel like, like yeah. crafts are really big right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so funny. All this stuff that was nerdy when I was growing up is like now, like everybody does it. And I'm like, well, I wish that had been the case when I was growing up. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I always like, so her business is starting to take off and it's really time for her to start living again. And then Nico comes in and he's very, he's got big presence, big personality. And he, he just like keeps like tempting her out. He's like, just saying, you know, like, what if you try this? She's sure she's not sure that she wants to live it, you know, like rejoin the land of the living for lack of that's really a, that sounds so cliched. I don't mean it like that. I swear the book's better than I just made it sound. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's just, it's him kind of saying, come on, she's ready, but she's afraid to do it. And he, he's just the impetus, impetus she needs to get out of her house and out of her shell. So you sit down to write for the day. Can you talk us through what your writing process looks like? Like, are there, do you, can you talk about word count goals for the day or just writing goals in general? Are there any programs that you prefer to use over others? What does that process look like? 
Yeah. Um, I loved Microsoft Word. When I worked at Disney, we got Word was the program we got, which I feel so lucky I didn't have Word Perfect because I know a lot of people, I know a lot of writers who do still hate Microsoft Word because they were Word Perfect users and it's been gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I usually, it, it, in the perfect world, I sit down at my desk um, by about nine o'clock. Um, by 9.30, I like to I have to play a few games, but I start getting into my writing routine. I play my games. I turn my playlist on for the book. And then I write in 20-minute sprints. Um, my word count for the day is usually 3,000 words. Um, I can I can get it done. I, I can get it done in three sprints if I really am just, like, on focus. But then, you know, like, something might happen. I'm, my desk is seated by a big window that looks out on the street. So if something interesting is happening on my street, I'm – completely not writing yeah Um, (laughs) something is happening in the world like my daughter will text me trailers to new movies and I'll be like stop and look at that so you know (laughs) it it takes me eight hours to write 3,000 words when really I only need an hour with three 20 minute sprints but it takes me eight hours to do it (laughs) and I have a dog um she's old she's like 15 but she mm-hmm. like will come in and she now it used to be she'd come in and want to sit on my lap or go outside. Now she comes in and she's not sure what she's doing in here. <laughs> like, What's going on? And so, you know, like that's a little bit distracting too. But I, I love writing. I know that some people, the process of writing is like a hard or a struggle for them from some people I've talked to, but it's, it, it's never been that way for me. I just love it so much. Um, I think it's, for me, it's a little translated from my early binge reading that I used to do and now I'm like binge writing I just I love those stories I love that just to be in a world where people are meeting each other learning about each other falling in love I I just Mm -hmm. can't get enough of it so let's get into some backlist questions which book in your backlist do you remember laughing the most while writing um I did a series for desire called king of hearts and um the the he's not the hero he's this mob hitman who asked for <laughs> forgiveness with his dying breath and um god granted his wish and he has to unite and love as many enemies he murdered and hate so he in each of these books he is kind of inserted into someone's life um and sometimes uh, one book he was a woman sometimes he's an old man sometimes he's a young man um and those books were just so much fun because he's a secondary character and I'm only in his point of view in the prologue and the epilogue and um but he's trying to manipulate them into falling in love and we and he just doesn't know much about love at all (laughs) (laughs) it was so much fun to write I really enjoyed I think I wrote four books in that series that is so fun I'm like would desire put that out today (laughs) no no, they did not (laughs) no no (laughs) which book in your backlist was the toughest to write um probably either um Amazon Strain, which I wrote for Bombshell because she was a virologist and and science isn't my strong suit. Um, Or I wrote a book called The Pirate for Kensington Brava. And um, that one- I saw that on your fiction database and I'm like, what is this Brava? I write like seven or eight books for them. But that one was tough because um, the- I don't want to say my anti-hero because he, he's definitely the villain, but he was raised in Somalia and piracy is like like the only economy that they have. That's how you make money. That's how you support everybody. And so it was a really, it, it was a hard, it was a little bit harder to write because I wanted to make sure I got that emotion right. Because I think sometimes, a lot of times we're the victim of our circumstances as much as we are, mm-hmm. we might want to be we're being the best person we can in the life that we have. And so I thought that was, that was like a, that was a good, I I enjoyed it, but it was a lot harder to write. I had to really, um, it felt heavy when I was writing it. I mean, it's still romance and still book I wrote. So it's not like really heavy, but it's still heavy (laughs) to me. (laughs) Uh, Is there a book in your backlist that you feel readers have reached out to you about the most? When, gosh, which one was it? I want to say, oh, the Spanish aristocrats woman, um, which is another, book I wrote for Desire. I It's the third book in a series that I wrote, Sons of Privilege. But um, after the after I finished writing the first book, some my marriage, um, something happened in my first marriage. Um, 
and I was like, everything kind of fell apart. And I was struggling to get back to kind of believing about happily ever after writing and I poured a lot of that into the heroine of um, in Spanish aristocrats woman. And I get a lot of letters from people who strangely enough are going through divorces and said that book really helped them kind of help them with their believing in love and faith and mm. of, of that again. So I feel like a little bit that one is, and also because it was so personal, like maybe that came through and that's why it resonates with those readers. I don't know. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, writing through an experience like that mm-hmm. and, you know, being honest and vulnerable and pouring your feelings into it. I, I just think that that's awesome that that resonated with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have over 100 books published. I mean, we're talking like, I think 120s, if not more than that, which is <laughs> incredible. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about yourself as a writer as your career continues? Well, I still love it. I have learned that I like to kind of, it seems like I like to ferret out some kind of family secret in the books. And um, I'm still not, I'm still not sure why, but I really love that kind of thing. Um, I think Julie Leto, she wrote for, she's an author who wrote for Blaze and Temptation. She always said that we spend a lot of time as writers trying to fix what we can't do. And she always says we should just do more of what we do really well. And I've kind of really embraced that the more I've gone into my careers. There's some things that, you know, like no one's ever going to say, wow, Kathy has such a gift for setting you just feel like you're in that place. But I feel like I am good about the emotion that comes from the characters. And I lean more heavily into that because that's what I like to read. And that's what I'm, I think I'm good at. You guys will be like, no, you're not. <laughs> I love that so much. No, that's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So I've learned to kind of lean into what I think my strengths are, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to be something I'm not. Yeah. I'm trusting myself a little more with that. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, as readers, we come to authors for us, you know, like, I don't want to say predictability in a, in a, like a negative way. But like, if I come to you, it's because like you said, I want that, that, that bit of emotion. And I want those mm-hmm. characters that I know I'm going to be rooting for. Like I, we come to authors for specific things. So to hear you say like, Hey, I just got to this point where I was like, I'm going to embrace what I know I'm good at. Yeah. That kind of, that translates to what the reader is coming to you for. I feel like, so that is mm-hmm. some really amazing advice. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Knowing what you know now, what's one piece of advice you'd go back and give yourself when you began your writing career? I think I would tell myself to chill out. You're going to make it because I was so I like I wouldn't even go to a psychic to talk about writing. I was so afraid something in the universe would say (laughs) on the wrong path and then I'd have to stop. Um, So I just avoided anything. I just kept my head down and wrote, which is probably what I needed to do anyway. But I just Mm -hmm. didn't. Um, but I would go back and say, chill out, girl, you got this. <laughs> you're going to get this. <laughs> And so I have to ask, because this is just from what I've gathered from us talking, like you didn't have any writing experience when you started. Is that safe to say? Like you yeah. weren't a kid. Like you sound like me. Like I didn't grow up wanting to be a writer or like writing. Like I wrote in diaries, but that was as far as it went. So now that I'm like Sarah and I are embarking on this journey of attempting to write, I I just feel like you're my spirit animal because I didn't I have never written before and I have no idea what I'm doing. And to see that you have over a hundred titles, it's like somebody who has no idea what they're doing can do it. <laughs> oh God, it's so true. I I don't even have a college degree. I mean, I went to college, but I dropped um, out because I had to work. Um, but yeah, it all came from reading. And I just loved it. And honestly, I would say, you know, I mean, like you, you, both of you definitely know enough to write a really good book. And, you know, the fact that you want to write is, isn't, it's enough. And I think sometimes, yeah, it's hard. And I know a lot of people, I felt like for a long time, I would, I felt like not worthy because everybody else has degrees or, you know, like they've been writing forever. They knew they wanted to write forever. No one in my family had written. And luckily I have very supportive parents so when I said I wanted to write a book, they were like, oh, okay, you do that. Like they had no idea what that entailed or whatever. <laughs> and I'd come home from work and I'd say to my mom, like, oh, I finished chapter seven or chapter eight. And she'd be like, oh, that's so nice. I mean, <laughs> she had no idea, but, you know, um, 
yeah, I think kind of, I just knew I wanted to do it. I, mean, I know you guys love, you love mm-hmm. reading, you love those books. And at a certain point, you want to tell your own story because you, you know, all the pieces that you love from all those books you've read. I'm assuming that's how it was for me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted the chance to tell it on my own. And so, yeah, I, I had a really good mentor, um, Carol Quinto, who she passed away from cancer. She wrote Regency Romances, but she was really good at like asking me questions. Like a lot of my early manuscripts that I sent to her, um, that first one, she like would write all over and say, see back. And she was just asking me questions to make me like dig deeper into the characters mm-hmm. and why I was making them do things. Because as a reader, I was picking up one level of the story, but as a writer, you have to add in an, another layer that you're not really thinking about. Sorry, it's rambled. No, on. no, 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 no. That makes sense. <laughs> like my wheels are turning. I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into some of our round out questions. What was, I feel like we know this, but okay. Besides books, what was one of your teen girl obsessions? Okay. Well, I did have reading. So um, I also really loved French. And I was uh, a swimmer. Um, So, but swimming kind of was uh, part of feeds into reading because while I was at swim practice, I would write, like make up stories in my head as I was swimming laps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also really liked He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. My mom let us watch 30 minutes of TV every day and that was my show. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like once upon a time you could get away with that. And my kids now would look at me like 30 minutes, mom. And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. Cause I really need you to give me like a couple of hours of quiet. So. <laughs> when I, when my kids were little, I tried the same thing. And finally I was like, we had a game room. I was like, go, oh, just go upstairs and watch whatever you want. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is the first song on the soundtrack to your life? I would have to say, um, it would have to be something by John Denver because mm. um, that there was sort of like, or Helen Reddy, um, I Am Woman. My sisters, we had that record in our house and my sisters and I used to sing to it. We had like this hearth. We used to stand up there and sing it. So I think that's where my life starts singing. <laughs> Helen Reddy, John Denver. <laughs> what is one film you will never stop watching? Well, I love Romancing the Stone. Mm-hmm. But I'm also a big fan of the Philadelphia story. And you've got mail. Those, 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 I can keep it to one. Those three. I watch them all the time. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. And um, if Tombstone's on and I'm flipping past it, I always stop and watch that. <laughs> I love that you said you've got mail because I had never watched it until I think two years ago. Sleepless in Seattle was my Nora Ephron, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks film. And then I watch You've Got Mail and I'm like, okay, this is tough now because this movie is so good too. <laughs> I mean, Sleepless in Seattle, she literally like stalks him, you know, right. across the country. But <laughs> yeah, we don't look too closely at that part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a different time. I still love it. I still love it. I was messaging Sarah last night. I was like, I wonder if uh, Sleepless in Seattle, like how it would work in today's world. (laughs) (laughs) You've got mail just really, I didn't see it at first because I'm just like a real, I I mean, I know I'm going to sound prudy when I say this, but I'm a real stickler about any type of adultery or cheating in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So when it first, when I first heard it and I knew that they were online chatting and they were both in relationships, I was like very judgy, which I can be. Um, and then I watched and I'm like, okay, I totally get it. And I love it. And it's not what I thought it was. And, um, yeah, so now I'm obsessed with it. What is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Well, when my kids were younger, flashcards for studying for tests. Um, and I don't want to hear that you already know it. I want you to make flashcards and we're going to go through them. Um, (laughs) They're like the best study tool ever. They Mm -hmm. are. And, you know, and everybody wants to give you a hard time about it until they get an A on the test. Then, hey, Mm -hmm. magic flashcards. (laughs) (laughs) Use them before people stop making them and we no longer have them, people. They work. Yes, yes, yes. I'm I'm with you on that. Um, My other thing is thank you notes. I I just feel like, um, you know, just because I can track the package on Amazon, I still want you to tell me I received it and thank you for sending it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's fair. Yep. So can you share anything about whatever you have coming out next? 
I can. Um, I have a new series coming from Desire um, that it's been a while. Um, when, when was this one out? Oh, it's a follow-up from her One Night Proposal, which I left on a little bit of a hook, but it's a destination wedding series and it starts in end of February, ends February, March, and April. Um, oh, three titles there. The first one's The Wedding Dare. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> find there's lots of lots of family secrets are being spilled at this destination wedding, and so there's one scandal after another. Oh, it was so much fun to write. I can't even tell you. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. I just have to ask. Like, I'm sorry, I told you in the email. Like, we tend to think of questions while we're talking. That's right. After you have written so many books, how do you come up with fresh ideas like this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. I'm kind of like a news junkie and um, and obviously the news cycle hasn't been great lately. So I've kind of moved on to like following things on social media and things like that. And those things just kind of feed into my, my story ideas and stuff. Um, I don't know. I've just never, I have tons of ideas and I think it's from all that outside input that I get mm -hmm. just kind of feeds it. Okay. Do you okay. keep like a file or a document where you just like jot things down and, you know, when you're ready to write something new, you just kind of look at it and see what piques your interest? I do. I have like an idea file. The The pirate that I mentioned earlier, I had been saving articles about um, all of these uh, tankers, uh, freight carriers that were getting um, boarded and taken over in the um, Indian Ocean. So I'd been saving them for about four or five years when I finally got around to writing the story. Or if I see, sometimes I'll notice just a trend, it'll, not really a trend, it'll be like little articles that have something to do with a similar topic and I'll kind of pull them together into an idea. Um, but I leave them there. I think that's part of it too, is like always in the back of my head, an idea is germinating and it's kind of, I'm picking things up that will feed into it so that by the time I'm ready to write it, you know, it's kind of all, all there. I've been doing all this research that I wasn't necessarily conscious of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that makes sense. And lastly, where can everyone follow you online? Um, Facebook and Instagram. Um, I mm -hmm. have a website, but I'm not the best about updating it. I do when I have a new book out. Um, but yeah, those are my main places. I'm on Twitter, but I, I don't tweet that much. I kind of just go on to like my daughter's on Twitter all the time. I go on to give her a hard time when she's like, McRib is back. And I'm like, uh, that's not a rib. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you? I mean, pretty much that's what I do on Twitter. So you want to follow me there. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today, letting us start our Saturday off with you. This has mm -hmm. been such an honor and we have been counting down the days for the opportunity to talk to you. So thank you so much. Listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We will have links to all the places where you can keep up with Catherine Garbera, along with all the places that you can find her books. So keep an eye out for Texas Christmas Dare. She just told us we have a new series coming in 2022 with Harlequin's Desire series. So yes, go read all the books. And thank you again for chatting with us today. This has been incredible and so insightful and inspiring and so much fun so thank you so much and sarah and i listeners we will talk to you in our next episode have a lovely day everybody